I really want to get off YouTube. <laughs> well, you know. I have not told you my story. Hello, Benjamin. Hello, Robert, in the chat. Um, okay, so so I'm doing I'm doing getting set up for live from the bunker this morning, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just before we go live, and I'm setting this whole thing up now. YouTube has this thing note for those of you. They're a little inside baseball. You have your URL. You have the web address for the the video file, right? Right. And YouTube has uh, an algorithm or whatever that sets up a short code, like a, a shortened version of this really long alphanumeric thing. It does that little, the little short version of it. Like a bitly or an owly or, yeah. or the various short Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. And so I'm, I'm, I'm setting up bunker and, and I, and I copy the code and I paste it in and I'm getting ready to hit send on the all of the social media posts and i notice that this short code ends in the f bomb <laughs> and i'm thinking to myself how does that happen and i okay fine it's a completely random algorithm it's He's an gonna ai hit it like ai going to be sure, ai sure. but at the same time I have on our channel a word filter that basically says, don't let these words show up in the chat right, or right. in the comments. Yeah, so you don't want it showing up even in your, it's, your code, right? It's all, it's all of three minutes it took me to set all that up, right? And you would think that a, that a billion-dollar company like Google Alphabet YouTube would be able to have at least one person somewhere that would go, what if, See, and set well, up a little thing? Well, that is a little of an extreme case. Yesterday, I was updating the Zompocalypse Now Twitter account. Because uh-huh. I thought that it'd be nice to like, the only there's only so many room, so much room for links on there, right? So right. we got the, the podcast.com link and the iTunes link. And I thought, oh, wait, there's room here. I can put the Stitcher link in. Right? Sure. I'll, put, I'll just put this in. Why not? Yeah. And for whatever reason, even though I shortened it down to, I think I used Bitly, um, it, would only, it would only paste the first two letters. <laughs> I had to generate a brand new Bitly code. I don't know why. Yeah. It's just like, okay, but it's copy and paste. It's, there's, why is this? Okay, whatever. Sorry. Well, and I do know that the bio, your your information is stuff on top of uh, of a Twitter code. You're only you're only given so many characters. Right, right, right. No, but I was within the character limit. Yeah. I mean, once I generated a new code and pasted it, it was fine. I was like, okay, whatever. I, I've actually thought about doing some kind of a link tree type of thing mm. where you you'll click on one link and it takes you to this this page right, that's sure. got everything uh-huh. on it. But I thought that's just such a pain to set up and I think it costs money. So, well, actually I tell you what, Jason, a little inside baseball here. I built the website for my, my day job. Yes. Is all you have to do is build a private page on your website and have the link on direct to the private page on your website. You know, that's that, that's, that's using your noodle. I got distracted. I have a million. I have a million trainings on our website right now, and I'm not even done because we haven't finished finalizing like the back half of the year. Well, and 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 I'm tired. 
because oh, sure. I I worked at the Chiefs football game yesterday, and mm. I would did not I didn't get home until one, which actually was earlier than I'd anticipated. But I'm I'm still recovering from that because it's a it's a rather physical sure job sure. to do. Well, and and folks, I was actually planning I would prefer to actually be there recording in person because Jason got the nice little studio set up. But I am enjoying the fun of a very mild, but I have a bit of a head cold. And I have found that giving the gift of colds <laughs> is not something people actually say thank you for. No, and I've got and I've got this I've got this studio all set. I know. And all I know, nice I know. And but the thing is, is that you sit there and go here, here, have have this head cold. <laughs> Let me share it with you. And people go, you know, I'm gonna pass. Yeah. So but so far, I haven't had a sneezing fit in about two hours. I'm fingers crossed. I don't have one uh, uh, while we're doing the show. But just in case, we will note. Let's see if this works. Nicely replaced by my updated uh, uh, photo. I've had my old I had my my old photo there forever, and I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so if nothing else, if if suddenly I go to a black and white graphic, it's because uh, I hit the mute button and there's a uh, box of Phoenix. We're all prepared over here. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I mean, I can always just, you know, do that. <laughs> and, and right, but that's this way, this way uh, you don't have to. I yeah. can do it myself. So uh, tonight's topic, okay, so yes, was it yesterday this dropped? The trailer for Godzilla versus Kong, I think, yeah, uh, yesterday or today, and uh, of course the reactions are, you know, everybody's all excited. Assuming that we actually get to see this film anytime soon, I think it's still. I think it's still coming. The plan is to do theaters, and was this is another HBO Max film, isn't it? Yeah, it's another yeah, HBO Max. Theaters and HBO Max. March twenty six is the current. No, the director of this date. is um, uh, the director of Your Next, which seems like an interesting leap from different kind of genre stuff. Yeah. But I quite enjoyed Your Next, so we'll have to see how well it translates into the giant monster. Uh, there's there's a bit of a there's a bit of a shift there. Yeah. So, well, some, some directors don't do well with super changes to super big budget. So mm. fingers crossed. And this one looks like it's going to be you know all of the money is on the screen with uh, well, yeah, with all the CG. Yeah, I was going to say there's just there's you know the idea that this would be anything other than a CGI extravaganza is is yeah. You know, well, at um, least the trailer, and I have to say that the, you see sometimes in looking at the trailer that it looks like you're looking at unfinished effects. I didn't, nothing leapt out at me in this as being, uh, looking super rough. Yeah. I think it's, well, I mean, for as long as it's been sitting, I think it's probably done to the point where they can pull anything out of the movie and it's finished because. You would think so. But we also know how trailers are actually put together because trailers are a, yeah. trailers are their own creature. True, uh, true. And uh, often, often the folks who build the trailer have the footage way before it's actually finished. Yeah. So, and some stuff in the trailer doesn't always show up in the film. Right, and yeah. and you know that can be a question of the cutting room floor, or it can be the question of 
you know, we never filmed the rest of this scene because we decided to chop it well before we even brought the actors in. Or you do like the Marvel stuff and you create scenes specifically for the trailer to throw people off in their, in their speculations. So speaking of which, why don't we start there? Because there's speculation yeah. all over the place about this thing. Because, all right, so this is Godzilla and, and King Kong in the MonsterVerse. And they fight. You know, we, we let them fight. But of course. And is this Superman versus Batman fighting before they figure out they have a common enemy? Martha. Or is this Thor versus Iron Man fighting before they figure out that they've got a common enemy? Dost thou, mothers, know you wearest her drapes? You know, the thing is, is that those are very modern references, but if you go back to the Godzilla film series, mm. there's a grand tradition of two monsters fighting until they team up to fight the worst monster threat. Yes. So um, for all the, for all the, and I've seen the Batman v Superman references and it's like, guys, there were, fil <laughs> there were films with that plot line long before that film. That right. film's got a whole host but, of issues, kids. I mean, there's no question, but it doesn't, you know, it's, it's yeah, not but, treading new ground. For some, for some, for some people that were born after, after 20, yeah, after after the year two thousand, let's say, there were things that that happened before that, but they're not going to get those references. So yeah, but that's that's it's not my fault. They have not educated themselves properly with the classics. Well, and and I did get some feedback today. Um, uh, a listener saying that uh, he appreciates the fact that we are so informative with our with our content here. So there's there's that. So always nice to hear. Thank you very much. Folks. So speculation about this uh my mm -hmm. my son sends me a text this morning he says have you seen have you seen the trailer i'm like well yeah i've seen it and he says i've got a theory i was like oh, okay because he always has a theory sure and uh he thinks that this monster back here in the back is mecha godzilla yes that and, is a very interesting theory that he, he's not alone there are a lot of people who have seen that that scene and thought that. And there's another scene later in the trailer which sort of lends itself to that theory as well. And it would not necessarily be out of the realm of possibility. Obviously, Mechagodzilla is an existing character in the Godzilla franchise. Again, you're going back to the, the classic Godzilla movies. Yeah. Um, and there's even a little bit of a setup in the sec end of the second film to imply that this sort of thing might happen. Well, and Charles Dance has not shown up in the trailer anywhere. We haven't wow. seen, you know, confirmed that he's in the film, but... And as you pointed out, there's this shot back here yeah, at, at, the, exactly. at the tail end. That and looks a whole lot like... Looks like a schematic. It really, mm -hmm. really does. And see, and I completely missed it the first time. Yeah, well, and, and it's... The, you want to see what the rest of that word is? Maximum charge? Okay. What? what ba system? Battery? Battery systems? Because that'd be battery. Yeah, I mean, battery it's like, systems. What does that mean? Maximum what, charge. What's the rest of the shot? So, mm. so it's definitely got some indications that maybe we are going to get. And 
there's that always that part of my brain that as much as I love this stuff is yes, you have to accept that creatures can grow this big, mm-hmm. even though, you know, no, yeah. um, but then you have to accept that you can build a giant robot that big. <laughs> right. Well, they just did over in Japan. Yeah, but it doesn't move. I mean, it moves. It does move, but it doesn't move very well. It moves, but it's not. It's not you know mobile on its own. But it looks see, really cool. I mean, it's but great. it's that big. I know, but it's the thing just is, a step in that direction. So it doesn't leave the thing that it's attached to its back. <laughs> one step at a time. One step at a time. It's only a matter giant of giant killer robots. You know, it's we, coming. You know, it's coming. We don't need to rush our way there. <laughs> Well, and, you know, and we've got, um, you know, uh, uh, Fandom Wire reporting the rumor, and they say it's a very strong rumor. They're he- hearing indications that not only are, besides, besides the Godzilla versus Kong, we are apparently going to be getting a Monarch television show on HBO Max. So Monarch being the big company that's done all of this stuff, right? Right, right, yeah. yeah. The, the, and, the secret government agency behind the thing, right? Right. And apparently it's going to be kind of an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.-ish type of thing where the cor- you, you're focusing on the, on the people who work for the corporation in this television show for HBO Max. And how are you going to do that? Because if you're going to do the MonsterVerse... And you're going to do a series that's set in the monsterverse. You're going to have to have a monster every now and again. Well, but what you do is you set it up like an X Files series, where you've got basically you've got the creature of the week, or you have the over the arc with mm. a creature or whatever. And I think that the a cryptozoology show um, is essentially what it would be. You know, giant scale maybe, but but it's there. It's a cryptozoology show, and it could be a lot of fun. Um, there are a couple of different podcasts that I listen to that kind of riff with that idea a bit. Um, yeah. And so there's certainly an audience for it. And if you could do it right and, and budgeted it properly, um, you know, save, save your, save your giant CGI monster, you know, do like they did in the first film and keep the glimpses brief and at a distance until you, your last three episodes when you rip off the, uh, budget band-aid and throw all the money on the screen right yeah and hmm, yeah i suppose but see the thing the thing about it is though the, you know the other part of that is you're you're having to um you're having to make sure that you cut whatever corners you're you're able to cut and not not do the not do too much of a cheat, you know, because you still have to have that in there. If you're going to be dealing with the monsters, they got to show up somehow. And, and a little shadow puppet on the wall is not exactly going to, going to do it. Ah, but wait, they managed to do that for both the first and second Godzilla film. Much to fan complaint. This is true, but they did it nonetheless. Well, the first Godzilla film, he never even showed up until the last reel of the of the picture. Right, so, and even for a while, you know, you get a whole lot of cutting away when you'd expect to see a big monster thing. Yeah, and I, you know, and then some of that came down to obviously for all the money they were throwing at it. There's, 
these are expensive films to make. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm not terribly surprised. But no, I think there's ways to do it. I mean, it, again, it's like anything else. It's going to come down to uh, is the writing going to hold up and are you going to have engaging characters through the thing? And if you mm. only do it for like eight episodes, eight episode season, you know, yeah. the first half of the season is more far more people than monster. And then the second half you lean into the special effects. Well, and I hear, you know, cause you get something like, um, um, Falcon and the winter soldier Ooh. apparently has a bigger budget than, Oh, what was I reading? It has a bigger budget than some of the, some of the Marvel movies individually have. And I get you're you know you're doing a series and you got a number of episodes. I think there are what eight episodes in this one or ten or something. So so amortized per episode, you're not spending as much. But overall, the whole the whole of the project, you're spending more money on this series than you would on a film. And I don't know that they're going to have that kind of a budget if they do this as a as a TV show. But maybe there's pieces that they shoot for the films. That they can repurpose and sure. and do something in the in the TV series to just kind of cut in because we've done you know we saw that a little bit with Agents of Shield pulling in some mm-hmm. footage from from Civil War, so maybe well there's also the possibility that you could look at something like um, having you know you don't as much as you can spending that money really wisely, you don't have to have a game of Thrones budget mm-hmm. or a Westworld budget to do good special effects on a regular basis. And if you budget it out well and you figure out, you know, use it in the right place, there's plenty you can do with, with human drama yeah. and then have the monster be, and the, and in many ways that's again, and this is your, your mileage is going to vary in terms of how you, how you, like this in the movies or not, but there's been a certain amount of that in, in both films is that, and, and also in the classic Godzilla films, there's the human drama balancing the monster drama. Right. And so there's ways to make it work. I think that it's, it would, again, it's going to come down to, you know, a really having a really strong, engaging cast. You care about things are happening to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at least, you know, the, at least the writing level, of the movies in terms well, of the quality of the storytelling. Yeah. And, and with this new movie, we see Millie Bobby Brown is back. Kyle Chandler is there. So you have that carry over from the other Godzilla pictures. So there's that, that connection that audiences can make. And depending on how the movie goes, there's nothing that doesn't, you know, there's nothing that prevents them from showing up in the, in the TV show either. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so. and depending on what they, there's a whole gap of time in strictly speaking, if you wanted to, if you want to make it a period piece, for example, I'm not uh-huh. saying you would period pieces, price tag goes up, Yeah, but there's a big gap between, you know, Kong skull Island and the first Godzilla film in terms of time. Yeah. Cause that one takes place in 1973. Right. So there's a, yeah. there's a fairly sizable storytelling gap that if you wanted to fill it in, if you wanted to have, you know, the secret files of, you know, mm. The X Files, if you will. Do 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 do. And Robert, uh, we I, uh, I I looked at WandaVision uh, last Tuesday's live from the bunker. I discussed the first two episodes of WandaVision, and and yeah, they are spending a good deal of money on that as well. Um, 
I haven't we haven't done anything with episode three yet because uh, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do that because we don't have level 117 anymore. So I mean, we uh, somebody would somebody would kill me if I started another show. But um, we're fi- we're trying to figure that out. We may do. Uh, the, the modified idea is to do a level 117 edition of live from the bunker, but it's, it's, there are a lot of pieces that we've got to move across the board to, to set all that up. So we are going to circle back around to more one division discussions at some point in the future. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all money. Mm -hmm. It's all a question of money. How much are you going to spend? How much of that money is going to go into a good story? Because that's more important than anything else. I mean, you can have all sorts of killer CGI. But if there's no story. Well, and even then you can have a really good script and a good story and just not have it connect with audiences. Yeah. Um, You know, we were considering considering some of the other creature features, modern creature features we've had. Mm-hmm. And we tend to think of the Godzilla films and the Kong film, you know, obviously are classic monsters on the big screen, but the film underwater, which came out, I guess get what beginning of last year. That's the Del Toro it, film. No underwater was, uh, um, the one with actually, Oh, it Kristen, was Scott. Chris, Kristen Stewart, Kristen Stewart. Right. Yeah. And actually I quite enjoyed the movie. Um, I thought it was actually a pretty solid. It's 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 nothing particularly original. There's a whole lot of alien in there, um, but it's also a giant monster movie mm-hmm. with a Lovecraftian connection um, that I won't necessarily spoil if you don't already know it. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was actually. I mean, it, it's not brilliant storytelling, but it was entertaining. And uh, the the characters were even, you know, I think very well developed. And for somebody who is not, you know, the, Kristen Stewart has her, uh, you know, she's got her fans and she's got her detractors, but she was actually quite good in it. Um, I actually yeah. quite enjoyed her performance. And I, where I haven't enjoyed some of the stuff she's done other places, and that's not necessarily her fault, you know. Um, but I actually thought it was quite well. And it's got uh, Vincent Cassell in it and... T.J. Miller, for your mileage on T.J. Miller. Mm. Um, but uh, he's actually pretty good in it. Um, it's one of the... I mean, it was it was made back before any of Everything. his issues arose. Or issues were public, anyway. Yeah. But it was, it's a very solid creature feature. And there are more of those out there than I think that... Uh, you know who they ought to get for the next creature feature? Army Hammer. I think that would be... <laughs> Two on the nose? Is it too thing soon? One could do. Yeah. I don't know that I'd want to watch that film. Ugh. You know, every time I turn around, there's something new crazy coming out of the... the I think, well, bunch, so. cast your mind back to the period where <laughs> it was just me on the camera. And every week of, of, of the Tim Harvey mm-hmm. show, mm-hmm. it was just like some other... Yep. Some other person who you really enjoyed their career as a producer or a director or an actor, and you'd sit there and go, okay, and you didn't uh, want to talk about it, but you mm-hmm. couldn't not talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I, the good news I is I have a feeling that, we'll get more of that this year. I, I, the sad thing is, the sad thing is, is there's a long history of very, very talented people not necessarily being the best people. Right. There, um, my background, you know, my degrees in graphic design, which means I studied a lot of art history. And some of the finest artists in the history of man were not very <laughs> nice. <laughs> They were geniuses, and they did amazing art. Uh, however, yeah. would you have them over for dinner? No. With some Would you invite beans? them to meet your family? No. Nice candy. Would you let them watch your dog? No. <laughs> <laughs> Pablo uh, Picasso, amazing artist. Not a good man. <laughs> little, little off. Little off. Several of them were, but that doesn't, you know, and that's, and that's the challenge is that, <coughs> that, we, that could explain, we made a decision a long time ago. That could explain some of what you do. <laughs> we made a decision a long time ago to give gen- genius leeway. Mm. And uh, this has not always been the right choice. No. Did you see uh, Pacific Rim 2? I never did. Um, I did not. I meant to. I can't tell you why I didn't watch it, and because I, 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 I Pacific Rim was perfectly enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's. It's not. It was not an example of great storytelling, um, but it was a fun movie. Yeah, it was a popcorn flick. It was a popcorn flick. It's a. It's a. It's a Saturday afternoon popcorn movie. Head down to your with your friends down to the matinee, mm-hmm. and and you know it was fun, but. Um, I felt uh, maybe I felt that the all the story I needed to be told existed in Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I I was like, there was a clo- there was closure to the first one. Mm-hmm. It was done. It you know they 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 blew up the the mecca and they closed the portal. Right? I mean, where do you go from there? I, it, I keep flashing every now and again. I, uh, a sequel of something that doesn't need a sequel comes out, and I keep thinking Kevin Smith talking about um, the idea for Beetlejuice two. Mm. Like, did we did we not say all that needed to be said in the first Beetlejuice? Must we go Hawaiian? Uh, just... And that's kind of how I feel. And I'm not. And and you know, if if you if you saw Pacific Rim two and enjoyed it, that's great. But whatever, I can't. I can't. Like I said, I can't even remember exactly the reason. I was kind of like. Okay. Well, and you heard, you know, speaking of Kevin Smith, you've heard that he's talking about, uh, he's got people telling him that we're going to get a revival of Batman the Animated Series for for HBO Max. Well, I'll tell you, and I, and I tell you what, I don't necessarily have an issue with that as long as... You know they're going to try to do it like Harley, and that just won't well, work. And it, and I don't think that's a good idea because I think Harley, because I quite enjoyed Harley, but Harley Quinn as a character can work in that setting. Whereas, and even, even the version of Batman, who's essentially the straight man in a comedy show, mm-hmm. it works because it's an exaggerated hyper, hyper, you know, crazy world. Right. But the cool thing about Batman, the animated series, of course, was that it leaned into all the cool things about, the Batman myth and, and the storytelling and the color and the scheme and the design. Um, 
I think that that would actually be more appealing to a broader audience for, and, and more appealing to say folks who want to subscribe to, you know, an HBO streaming service. Yeah. I think the, the Harley, the Harley Quinn show is going to appeal to a certain demographic, but your wider demographic, the folks who actually really love the, you know, who, who love the reruns or love the, the DVDs or the Blu-rays or whatever. Yeah. If you're speaking to that. And I think that, it's a balancing act. I mean, there are folks who really love the new Animaniacs and folks who really didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a fine line when you revive something that's super beloved. Yeah. Because if you bring back those original people or you bring back people who are going to keep in the same tone, you know, we, and we, it's not like you and I haven't talked about this before. <laughs> no, I people mean, who don't quite get what, what made the original thing, the original thing. So, yeah. Oh, there, and there's, and there's plenty of examples of that. Oh, sure. Everywhere. So, well, and, yeah. and to some degree you get that, you got that from the Godzilla movies because, and, and the thing is, is you got it within the history of the films. Cause if you're not familiar with the history of the Godzilla films, the first film was a deadly serious story about the dangers of nuclear radiation, mm -hmm. about the, the man doing things man was not, should not ought be doing. Right. Um, and then after that, and of course, Godzilla dies at the end. Spoiler alert for what, a 50-year-old movie. 1950, um, was it 54? Something like that. It, yeah. I mean, it's not at all new. Um, Raymond Burr was the American insert. He was not in the original uh, uh, Japanese release, but he was, yeah, because it didn't hit the, the United release. States uh, until, I think, 1956. Yeah. So. And then after that, we got, the, we got the Toho series, which really became creature features, which mm -hmm. really became Let the Monsters Fight. Right. Um, and they had aliens, and they had giant robots, and they had you know all kinds of different things. Uh, I'm ready so for a Godzuki movie. Was there not a Son of Godzilla film? Pretty sure there was a Son of Godzilla, but Godzuki exactly. Godzuki was was in the animated picture. He needs he needs a live action. Does he though? Revival. Does he? Good night, folks. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like saying the the Scrappy Doo mini series we've been all been begging for. Yeah. Mazer says yeah, Godzilla. Robert, uh, oh, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, Robertson says in the chat, Canadians secretly giggle and feel smug when they learn Godzilla is really the Americans nuking Japan. Most American kids don't know that. Well, I mean, there's, yeah, to some degree. And, and it's, we've, again, coming back to things, larger things that we've talked about, it's the same reason we don't think, you know, there should be an Americanized Akira is because oh, no. the Japanese story that is there is about a very real thing that affects a culture and, well, and something that, Context you know. context is an element of story that can make or break story. And, yeah, and no you question. and I've talked about that as far as, you know, if you're going to Americanize or if you're going to whitewash or you're going to tell some sort of a reboot of something and you don't have the core piece of what made the first, the original story work, then you've got this terrible carbon copy that's a hollow shell of itself and I, I know a lot of people were worried about 
Legendary's first Godzilla movie in that in that vein because we had had this attempt <clears throat> In what was it, 1998, with uh, with Matthew Broderick, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Yeah, and, here's, and the, here's uh, the thing about that is that um, I think that if it hadn't been Godzilla, if it had not, if it, if it had been called something else, yeah, giant Lord. monster, giant generic monster movie, right? Yep, it would have been some. We would have sat there and looked at this film and went, "It's a big dumb creature feature movie." And we would have either liked it or disliked it, mm. but the reactions wouldn't have been the same. As at at if, the most, we would have said it's a Godzilla ripoff. Right. And it kind of is a Godzilla ripoff because Godzilla never really shows up in that movie. No, but that that uh, uh, that Godzilla-esque creature uh, does show up in a later Godzilla movie where Godzilla promptly defeats it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know... Yeah, if one if one has the opportunity to make a point, mm-hmm. it's it's understandable. You can make the point. Yeah. Oh, that reminds. Okay, so Robert makes a yeah, Mazurus and Robert were both making a point about uh, uh, Star Blazers and space mm-hmm. battleship Yamato. Um, no, I don't have it down here. There is a Japanese live action version mm-hmm. of that show. And it is, I think I did a, a review of it. <clears throat> it is a very, very, very good, very faithful adaptation of the series. And it's in Japanese. You get, you get subtitles. But the copy uh, of, uh, of, of, the, of the uniforms from, live action, from animation to live action, uh, it's almost perfect. Like, wait, wait, wait. How did you do this and not mess it up? Because you just, you know, when when the ship comes up out of the ground, because I remember the animation for that, that scene in the cartoon. And, you know, when it's all, it's all this, everything's blowing all over the place and all this dust is going over there. Mm-hmm. And all my, I want to say shot for shot, they recreate that. And it's, of course, it's all CG, but it's very well done. And you're sitting there and you hear the music swell and it's, and it's the Star Blazers. It's like, this is Star Blazers. This is really cool. But it works because Americans didn't make it. Well, you know, I think that there's something you can, you can, some stories do translate well from one culture to another. Mm-hmm. Some stories are some the idea of a story translates well. You can not the, the details. You can you can take the idea of a of a show like dot 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 mm-hmm. and take it from one country to another, one one language to another, one culture to another. But some things really do work. Made by the folks who actually invented the thing, whether it's Americans or Japanese or Russian or or, or Mexican or French or Italian or whatever, whatever, you know, um, you know, on the horror side of things, Fulci movies, the super hyper gory, you know, over the top practical effect bloodbath that, that the Fulci movies are Mm -hmm. 
part of the reason they all work is because it was an Italian thing that they did. Yeah. It was like this, this string of Italian films and, and America, you can, you can have that kind of stuff from, uh, you know, an American filmmaker, but the, but the, the Italian filmmakers had a, had a tone and a way mm-hmm. they were playing with story among the, amongst themselves. It was you know, that, that made those films iconic in the horror genre. Yeah, and so you and that's, there's things like that, and I think that you get into it's like it's like um, Japanese gangster movies. They've got a tone that you can you know you there are plenty of American gangster movies, but they're not yaku Japanese yakuza gangster movies, you know. And there's mm-hmm. that there's there's tones to these things, and and yeah, I'm sure that you could get an American American director to do a, a Japanese yakuza movie or a Japanese director to do an American gangster film, but it wouldn't I be the do. same. But I mean, I yeah. mean look at this. I mean, how 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 faithful it is in a, oh, in yeah. in the United States, these costumes wouldn't look anything like this. Well, no. But also I think that there's there's also the difference between American views of animation for adults and Japanese and well, Asian views in general for there's not Japan's not the only one who does this. Um, where they view animation as a, you know, an art form that's for all ages, depending on the kind of story you're telling. You know, right. there's, you know, animation. Animation in, in Japan ranges from stuff for the, for, you know, toddlers all the way up to, you know, as old as you can possibly live, with every kind of genre in the middle: romance, horror, you know, um, erotica, science fiction. I mean, there's all this stuff in there, and and there's just a different way of looking at it. And, you know, American audiences, it's really only been maybe, said, well, okay. Um, Tex Avery. Well, Tex Avery, sure. But even then, that, that was a whole bunch of those animators slipping stuff past the censors. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, in terms of the modern audience, I think you're looking at maybe Cartoon Network. Oh, for yeah. Really kind of kicking of... off animation for an adult audience. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, and going back to, I guess I'd say the early '90s. Mm-hmm. So it's a relatively recent thing. There's a lot of people who still think of animation and think of Disney movie. You know, it is all for kids. Yeah. yeah, and so I think that we just we just don't have that history that the Japanese filmmakers and storytellers do in taking because they've got that rich rich selection of of animated you know science fiction and fantasy and horror to pull from. Well, and I think the other part of that too is the manga angle. Because mm-hmm. manga is very big in Japan, sure, well, and again, it's, is it's... is very big over here, even um, to the point where they're they're using manga sales to prop up the reports of comic book sales. Well, and, but, but again, you're looking at something where it's a <clears throat> storytelling style that is not just limited to superheroes or it's not targeted at a specific age group. You know, the, mm-hmm. the demographic isn't you know, men 24 to 43 or whatever, you know, it's, it's again, manga is for little kids all the way, you know, and, and it covers a whole bunch of different genres, Yeah, you know, and the, the style and writing style of this stuff. Um, again, it's just a different way of looking at the yeah. kind of storytelling that American audiences, I, th- I think we're, we're working our way there. The internet has actually been good for getting that out, you mm-hmm. know, crossing the, the oceans and the culture barriers, but well, it, and I think it, you got some stuff yet. like like uh, Clone Wars or Rebels or anything like that also helps to broaden that audience. 
Sure. Uh, sure. As part of that, RJ in the chat says, "My first adult animation was Wizards, Fritz the Cat, Rock and Roll, etc." I actually have a VHS copy of Rock and Roll. Rock, I don't even Rock know and Roll was a film that people did not know what to make of. Yeah, I quite liked that film. Well, and you have it's an odd, odd movie. I, yeah. I think it would do it would it would do better now mm-hmm. than when it came out. Well, and our, you know, you mentioned Fritz the Cat. You know, you've got uh, Ralph Bashke doing the Lord of the Rings animated mm-hmm. show, which for the longest time was the Lord of the Rings movie. Mm-hmm. Before Peter Jackson did his thing, everybody went back to the Bashke animation. So well, we, it's because we because we didn't get our Beatles Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you folks know about the Beatles Lord of the Rings, right? The, we, the, the Beatles really actually mean? wanted to do a version of Lord of the Rings where they were going to play, play some of the main characters. Yeah. This is the thing that almost happened. Almost happened. Well, and, and then you have stuff like uh, Heavy Metal mm-hmm. and Heavy Metal 2. The problem with Heavy Metal 2 is that Heavy Metal was an anthology. Mm-hmm. And it was an anthology that shouldn't have worked because the stories don't really connect. Right. And Heavy Metal 2 was made kind of kind of as a Julie Strain vehicle, sort of. I mean, she did the voice for it, and it was the anim- the character was largely based, based on, on her. her. Yeah. Well, um, and it kind of is a sequel to a piece of the first one. Right. And and so just I mean the the and again. And to some degree, heavy metal is a product of its time that kind of really works because it was a product of its time. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, you know, it's it's one of those films that came along at just the right time. Yeah, for it for its fan base. I think that, uh, and that and that has me thinking about our our print edition project that we're thinking about doing. I I think it would be appropriate to somewhere in the midst of the sixty pages of the book to have some kind of a of a Frank Frazetta type Mobius type of full page illustration. Just, just because, just let's sure. let's just showcase no, no. somebody and throw throw a big piece of art there and and see what happens. So I don't know. We'll have to we'll that'd have to very add cool. that. So yeah, there's um, you got and, and it's interesting because of course there's another example um, because of of you know those artists and where they lived, grew up, and things that influenced them. There's a whole style that you would get from you know fantasy films frazetta mm-hmm. painted literally you know the landscape that so many other fantasy artists were in um mobius defined a very distinct style of science fiction illustration and and the texture of those future worlds and of course heavy metal drew heavily from that and there and were a lot of there's a lot of monsters in in that as far as you know, I mean I mean you you look at some of the some of the stuff the the early designs for Dune for Jodorowsky's mm-hmm. you know thing and you know Mobius was involved in that and you've got you know all sorts of fantasy art 
with heavy metal or metal hurlant and mm-hmm. you know the dragons and the and the creatures that that came out of that and and by extension then then you start to get into Brian Froud and his designs for um the dark crystal and those those other designs that he did for his fantasy worlds that eventually became the dark crystal mm-hmm. universe so all of this and it all of that goes back to you know the illustrations give us the big fantasy creatures and, and, and stuff. Whereas with something like Godzilla, it's somebody dropped a bomb. What does that do? Mm-hmm. And it's a completely well, it, different mindset and, and, and a completely different type of origin for the monster. Because a lot of the times the monster is us, or the monster is you know it, you you get this Frankenstein's monster, this, these creatures that are that are somehow fabricated by science or or you know some unethical doctor or whatnot. And Godzilla was a complete separation off of that. Well, it, except it plays back into it in a way because it is still the consequences of of our actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. The idea, of course, the the underlying theme of you know nuclear radiation is deadly, nuclear power is dangerous, but it can also be our salvation. Um, yes, the the oxygen bomb at the end of the Godzilla film wasn't really an atomic bomb, but the idea that the, the same the same level of destructiveness that we can generate, that they, the same the same violence we can cause. Mm-hmm in the right circumstances can be a solution. Um, and, and to make that work, because it's a, that's, you know, that's a, that's not a great argument. You know, it's like violence solves violence. I mean, the, we, generally speaking, historically, mankind has not learned that lesson right. uh, in a good way. But at the same time, to thread that needle, because it's, it's also a story about sacrifice, and it's a story about, the, you know, the people who were willing to, um, you know, stand in the way of this this creature, even though it was clearly a doomed thing. I mean, it's it's a, for all the fact that we look at these big monster movies as kind of these blockbuster fun things. The first Godzilla was deadly serious. Oh yeah. I mean, there's there's. You know, there's no cute little little alien girls in it, or or giant robot monsters, or flying anything. It's this force of nature that comes out from the sea, and you know you can't stop it. There's no there's no way to stand in this way, and it's it's a it's a it is very much a horror film in the in the school of be afraid. Yeah. Um. And and it's I mean it's. If, if folks, if you have not seen the original Godzilla, um, do yourself a favor. It's extremely well crafted, and yes, the Godzilla suit is a little dated, <laughs> but you don't care. Yeah, you straight up just don't care because it's so the story is so strong. Yeah, well, and Robert makes a good point in there talking about this uh, the 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 nuclear angle. Where you had, especially going up through the 60s, 70s, and 80s with the Cold War, 
there was all of that. I mean, you look at something like War Games, for example, or Red Dawn, where or you have after. the day after, where you have all of these movies that are, you know, the world under the shadow of the ticking clock right. that, you know, that, that we're just that, that far away from mm -hmm. nuclear destruction. And then of course, all of that's kind of gone away and it's evolved, I think, into the dystopian future type of stories, you know, the hunger games and, and divergent well, and, and that sort of thing. But maybe we, maybe we circle back because, you know, China being China, we're we're possibly looking at another Cold War here, possibly. Um, I, I would not be surprised that if we're in another Cold War. But I think that one of the things that we ran into, and, and, and Alan Moore was talking about this when he wrote the foreword to the collection of when V for Vendetta was published as, a, as the graphic novel, mm -hmm. not the individual issues. Right. Um, the forward that he wrote for that, he talked about the mistakes that they made when they when they did the series, and one of them was because if you're if you've only seen the film, mm. the, I, I own the film; it's very entertaining, but it's not even a close to being a, a, com, a complete or even very good adaptation of the source material. I would love to have a dear HBO Max. You want to make me happy. <laughs> Give me a twelve issue. Do an do it an adaptation of issue, twelve episodes, twelve issues. Yeah. Give me a straight adaptation of V for Vendetta, and I will be a happy boy. But the premise of the, the premise of the the story is that there was a nuclear exchange between Russia and America, and somehow Britain survived, but Russia and America are gone. And in in the in his opening uh, essay about the series, he said, "Okay." we were all incredibly naive up until the mid eighties. There was this mindset that if you started a nuclear war, anybody would win. It's like, but it, they wouldn't. Yeah. We're gone. We're, I mean, we're done. Yeah. And you'll note that with the apocalyptic films, all these, you know, after the end stories mm -hmm. about the early nineties, they stopped being about nuclear war because it finally sunk in that it's like, yeah. Yeah. Nobody. No, nobody. Dying wins of radiation it's... poisoning is a terrible, terrible, and horrible thing. Let's not have that. Yeah. Well, and and the other part of that too is that once you go, once you tell that story so many times, how many times can you tell that story? And then you get into the aftermath. Ask, ask the zombie industry. Yeah. <laughs> well, and but see, that's that's the aftermath. It's right, not. Right. Thing is, it's we, not the we, whole the the war part of it. It's what happens afterwards, and it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, nuclear. But it's whatever. Right. It's the and, fall and when of it evolves, yeah, the fall of civilization type of thing. And 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 to be fair, there's you know, there's a huge young adult segment of the post-apocalyptic tale, the Hunger Games and and Maze Runner and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and and you have films like the Book of Eli. Right, so you've got yeah. Denzel Washington wandering the wasteland. The I think that what we end up doing is we end up moving into this sort of nebulous, you know, the Mad Max backstory. Something, a, a thing happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter what the thing is, but it was a bad thing, and and you know, uh, and whether it's a zombie apocalypse or the end, of, you know, the the world has fallen for this reason or that reason. 
the uh you know it's it's a strange thing where because i think we understood that yeah mutants of the wasteland yeah no there wouldn't mm. (laughs) (laughs) there wouldn't be any wasteland or any mutants or anything we all be gone there wouldn't you know the cockroaches would get up and go huh (laughs) where'd all the people go i wonder what what would a post-apocalyptic kaiju monster movie look like because you have the zombies you mm-hmm. have the deadly plague. You have those kind of films. But so far, there haven't been the big monsters come out after the fall of civilization movies. Well, they've been tied together. There was a film that actually came out earlier this year called Love and Monsters. Uh-huh. Up and and RJ a, mentions that right there in the chat. It's a cute little... Um, it's 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 a sweet kind of love story monster thing, um, and it's an after the fall, and the the world has been taken over by monsters, mm-hmm. and humanity is retreated to its its bunkers and its lairs and its things like that. What's left of us, and it's a story of you know he's got the you know he, the girl he was separated with from when when everything went when came apart, and uh, he sets out to find her. It's a coming of age story, and it's it, but it's it's fair it's. I thought it was, I thought it was sweet and I was entertained. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's, it's not great storytelling and the effects are pretty good. Yeah. Um, there's a certain amount of, there's no spoilers for the folks. I, I, it, if you're looking for an entertaining kind of thing you can watch with, well, you could probably watch it with, you know, younger, younger kids, not super young. But it's it's a fair it's fairly harmless. There's some scary moments for younger audiences, but yeah. um, it's it's almost a family picture um, in the monster genre, which is not something you get to say very often. <laughs> so when when Godzilla versus Kong comes out March 26, which team are you going to be on? Are you rooting for Kong? Are you rooting for Godzilla? Are you well, rooting for Mecha Godzilla? If it's Mecha Godzilla, I'm rooting for Kong. Because I want to see the giant ape tear apart the giant robot monster. Right. If it's Godzilla versus Kong. But if all three of them are in there. Well, then it's Godzilla and Kong versus Mechagodzilla. Because clearly, um, I think I think the best way to describe that, of course, is to just say, and I can't believe I've been set up so well to do this, <laughs> but uh, let them fight. I mean, well, sure. like, I don't, I'm not going to be on either. The, and here's the, you know, here's the funny thing is that we are perfect. These are disaster movies in many ways, right? We are yeah. perfectly content to see Godzilla or Kong rampage through a city. And because it's part of the genre is what we do. Uh, and, uh, and let's make yeah. sure to know that, that, that everybody has been evacuated because, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure someone will say that. <laughs> well, and we do have that one scene, you know, like early in the trailer, where we see people that are running and, you know, th- I'm, I'm but sure. that's a staple in these films too. Oh, um, yeah, no question. I think that there's, there's, there's a built in, it's, it's kind of like watching a tornado movie or a super storm movie or something like that. You know, there's the Sharknado. people being in danger yeah. is actually part of the genre. So. 
Mazur says, will the film be exploring the old idea that Kong gets revived by electricity? I, I haven't seen anything to indicate one way or the other on that, but maybe? See, based on the trailer, I would say no. But this is also, this would also be not a, this version of Kong... See, I can't remember the, the end of Skull. The tower. Yeah, I can't remember the end of Skull Island, how they left that. So, because it's obvious that they're going back and they get him. And he's gotten bigger in the years since. And he's gotten bigger and, and they've got him on the boat. But I don't know. Any, I, I don't know. I would have to go back and watch Skull Island again to see the ending of that. And, and if there's any kind of a setup. And, uh, you know, I think the... They might be teasing a little bit of Beauty Killed the Beast with setting it up as a child being, a, you know, a sweet, an adorable little moppet. Yeah. Being, now, uh, see, now that's new to the mythology. That is new. That's new to this, yes. Yeah. To, well, that's new to the Kong story. Adorable little moppets have, have shown up in Godzilla films a few times. Right. And that's two drinks. Folks, if you aren't familiar with the with the with the drinking game we're developing over here on the uh, uh, Sci-Fi for Me, Sci-Fi for Me TV video show, (laughs) you should check out a couple of different shows that we have. (laughs) Foreign Bodies, (laughs) we're developing. Leslie and I are developing a drinking game for all the times that we use certain words. They just wouldn't put so many adorable little moppets. Uh That's three. That's three. Yeah. And uh, we're trying really, really hard to have my liver decide that it's time to <laughs> succeed. So uh, <laughs> succeed from from this particular union. But oh. uh, yeah, no, we, there's, it's like it's like over here. You and I are referencing remakes or reboots. Yes. Yes, which we're not allowed to do. But, you know, every now and again, it comes up. Um, yes. Okay. It's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. I don't know about you guys, but I am super excited about getting the original Muppet show back. And I'm assuming they haven't cut it. That yes, that's, that's a fair, that's a fair concern. But the, the, the fact is, is or, that or edited it for politically correct sensibilities because you know, there is a thing now. I'm trying really hard. This show think. was made back during a time when sensitivities were just sensitivities. Well, I'm sure that I'm sure that there's going to be, you know, <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm trying really hard to remember, and I grew up with it, so you know, I, I, I don't know that I can. I'm trying really, really hard to remember something that it's uh, is going to stands out that way. But in any event, I'm I'm excited about having it back because as much as I appreciate. All the attempts to bring it back in one form or another, whether it's been the movies or or a new TV series or all this or that thing, whether you liked that stuff or didn't like that stuff, the original series was just so well crafted overall that there's it, it goes you come back and it be goes back it goes back to the notion that the person's what's making the new version of the thing needs to understand what made the thing work in the first place. And a lot of times, you know, especially with the last couple of attempts at television for the Muppets, whoever was, was in charge of it over there did not get it. Yeah. I I, I know what they were trying to do, but it just, it just doesn't work in that setting. I think one of the things that bugs me about some of this stuff 
is that, and I think there was a, there's another show, there's another show that's trying to do it. Basically, you're taking those characters and putting them in a live action, real world setting. And it doesn't work. Well, the problem for the thing about the Muppets is that we already do that. It's called the movies mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's a Christmas Carol or it's whatever different, you know, the Muppets take Manhattan and there's an acknowledgement of the ludicrousness. Yes. Of that. Um, but I think it was also, I fear, I fear that something like the Muppets without Jim Henson Mm-hmm. just is never going to have he's one of those creators and that show is one of those shows that I think that doing a movie you can capture it for a couple hours but doing a series yeah, especially with the Muppets you know, you're putting the Muppets in an existing story and seeing the funny part of being you know, Kermit the Frog is Bob Cratchit and you know um, that stuff, you know, there's the, the humor built in. That's a different kind of Muppet story Right, yeah. but the, the the that particular thing, that magic of the moment that we got with the original series, um, there's a part of me that says, you know, yeah, can you do it without Jim? I think I think Mazers was right. This, the The original show it never tried too hard. It was just here's what we do and here's the thing, and it it knew what kind of show it was, and. Jim Henson, Frank Oz, that crowd mm-hmm. had a very specific way of doing these things. And you even see you even see with Yoda a certain amount of it. And and mm-hmm. I guess it goes back to Richard Donner's verisimilitude, you know, where these characters, you know, the Muppets are real ish you know and and you look at how the kids interact with them on sesame street for example they're not talking to the guy down here the kids are making eye contact with the with the with the muppets they're real they're they're actually there and so it's yeah it's just one of those it's one of those things where you know if you don't if you don't acknowledge the verisimilitude of it and you're approaching it as if it's just a gimmick, you're not going to make it work. There is, if you can find it, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. I'm pretty sure it's out there in the world. I know it's out there in the world. Um, there are the outtakes. Oh yes. From some of them from, and, and the bloopers from some of the, the Muppet show stuff and not just the Muppet show, but a lot of just the, the Henson, the Henson studio stuff. Yeah. Um, where, you're watching, you know, the, the gag isn't working. The physical thing isn't happening. And yet you're watching the people working the puppets have the puppets react mm-hmm. to the gag not happening. Yeah. And, and you might be shocked about some of the language. It doesn't, you get, know, too, it doesn't get too blue. I mean, it, doesn't get, it gets a little blue sometimes, which, is, which, which ends up being funny in its own right. But it's, it's that kind of just watching the character just do the double take on the on uh-huh. the physical thing that didn't happen the way it was supposed to, and it's just like, 
this person is down here looking up <laughs> they're doing the bit and it works it's it's it, it it was an art form that i think that the the practical for all the beautiful things we can get done with cgi i mean cgi is a gift to fantasy films it's a gift to science fiction films there's so many cool things you can do with cgi but there is always going to be something about whether it's on a whether it's on strings or if it's you know, a, a guy with his hand up, you know, with a felt over it. Yeah. Um, there's something to it. There's something, and there's something to that art form of being, uh, being a puppeteer. There's one bit, um, and I want to say it's Kermit and Fozzie. Kermit and Fozzie Bear. And it is a completely existential conversation between Kermit and Fozzie where Kermit is explaining to Fozzie that they are puppets. And Fozzie doesn't quite understand we're what? And Kermit's like, yeah, that's what that person is behind you. And yeah, they're having this thing because they're, I, I think it was a camera test or something that they were doing. And they were doing all of those, you know, and, and just having a conversation in a park. And it's just Kermit and Fozzie uh, standing by a tree. And they're doing the camera test. And, and Kermit is completely self-aware that he's a puppet and Fozzie has no clue. And it completely flummoxes him. He's like, we're a what? What? Wait, what? We're, what are you talking about? Well, you know, Kermit is in many ways, the Deadpool of the Muppet cinematic universe. He knows where the fourth wall is. <laughs> now that's <sighs> Okay. That's a that's a notion I had not considered before. Maybe that's the next Deadpool did it first. Not at all. The next Muppet movie, Kermit as Deadpool. What are they talking about? The next Muppet movie is the, as the Great Great Gatsby. Oh, is it? No, but that's people have been saying that oh. the next Muppet should. And I, I'm thinking to myself, um, as much as I enjoyed the last Muppet movie, uh, yes. It is. It, it, they said in the chat, it was dark. It was. It was the, one of the darkest of the Muppet films. There were some fun moments in it. It wasn't perfect, but I had. I had moments I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, the Muppets doing the Great Gatsby, unless you rewrite the book. Mm. I don't know. Well, well and I've guy. seen this thing where uh, you know it, it. It's you know, pick a movie, and you get to keep one actor, and everybody else gets replaced by the Muppets. You know, that, that was going around for a while. Um, you could take a Godzilla movie and you could replace everybody and make Kermit Godzilla. Yeah, but there's, there's some films you just do. American Psycho with the Muppets. I, I just don't. No. I, I don't think so. No, there's certain I, I, certain certain places you don't go with the Muppets. I don't think you want to go there. I don't no. think you want to go with, uh, you know. Uh, well, there's a lot of horror that you just didn't want to put them. I mean, you could do it, and I'm sure there's a there's a funny six panel um, strip there, but uh, that's as far as you want to go, I think. Yeah. Although, although the Star Wars, as read by Shakespeare novels, um, I like those. I think you could you could do some fun, fun stuff with Muppets that way, but no. uh, you know, I think now the great Muppet Godzilla crossover movie. <laughs> It's not easy being green. <laughs> <laughs> <Hi -ho. laughs> 
giant lizard man. How are you today? I think, I think, you know, it, can you well, imagine? Okay. So, so Godzilla is stomping through the streets of New York, right? Manhattan. And Fozzie stops him. Wait, wait, wait. Tell me if you heard this one before. Right. And of course, oh. Bunsen and Beaker are over here trying to come up with some scientific way of eliminating Godzilla, right? Mm-hmm. And Swedish Chef is coming up with a recipe for Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And while all this is going on, one street over <laughs> is Sesame Street, and Big Bird sits down and talks to Godzilla, and nobody else and discovers <laughs> that he too has an invisible friend. And he's just been looking for him. And it's all just a terrible, terrible misunderstanding. No, even better that Big Bird's invisible friend and Godzilla's invisible friend are the same invisible friend, Mr. Snuffleupagus. It's like I said, it's all just a big misunderstanding. That's right. You know, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes that they made making Snuffleupagus visible. Is, is I think the fact everybody that we've got a Sesame said, Street program that has run as long as it has, that has been as kind-natured for children as long as it has, mm-hmm. for something that actually has given, helped children deal with some really heavy subjects in very well-crafted ways. Yeah, I still can recall when Mr. Hooper, uh, you know, there's there's... Every now and again, there's a reminder that we do produce something culturally. Um, and, and considering that there's been inspiration, you know, that, that shows like Sesame Street have gone on to inspire other countries to have similar shows. Yeah. Whether it's just been, a Twitch, whether it's just been an adapting the, 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 you know, they've licensed the show and they've adapted it to their own, their own languages and cultural references, or they've had their own shows that were just, well, good-natured ripoffs. Um, there's a few of those around the world, too. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if, if it came down to our cultural export being Sesame Street, <laughs> I'm good with that. I'm good with that. And if anybody would like to make a good-natured ripoff of this show, um, you're welcome to do that, but you could pay a licensing fee through our PayPal account. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. I think we've we've run this Godzilla to Sesame Street, folks. I see. That's what we do here. We are we are so culturally broadly informed, yep. and we bring you and all of these. Things. Yes. All right. So, thanks very much, all of you in the chat for participating. It was a lively conversation. It's always good to see all of those comments. If you are not live, but you're watching this in reruns, or if you're listening as a podcast, you can uh, leave us comments or send us email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. And uh, we mentioned the PayPal tip jar, you know, super chats are always welcome. We've got a, a subscribe star account that we're working on. I need to update that. It's just one of the other things on the list that I've got to get to. So, uh, and then tomorrow, new live from the bunker at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central. I don't have a guest, but uh, that won't stop me from ranting for about 45 minutes or so. So you can join us for that. 
Feel better, sir. I, I, I'm, I'm sure. Well, this. The good news is, is that this is, you know, I've got a mild head cold. This isn't bad. I can no. live with that. Well, I'm gonna go take some ibuprofen, and uh, and start to wind down for the night. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. We will be back Thanks, next week. That's yes. the plan. That's the plan. All right. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.